Good evening and welcome to our Lenten service. Uh, we'll begin tonight with hymn number 74, Oh What Precious Balm.
Let us begin our service in the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Ghost. Amen. Our sermon text is found, or our scripture reading is found in Isaiah chapter 53, and we'll be reading verses 1 to 5. That's Isaiah 53, verses 1 to 5, and we read in Jesus' name. Who hath believed our report, and to whom is the arm of the Lord revealed? For he shall grow up before him as a tender plant, and as a root out of a dry ground. He hath no form nor comeliness, and when we shall see him, there is no beauty that we should desire him. He is despised and rejected of men, a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief, and we hid, as it were, our faces from him. He was despised, and we esteemed him not. Surely he hath borne our griefs and carried our sorrows, yet we did esteem him, stick, esteem him stricken, smitten of God, and afflicted. But he was wounded for our transgressions, he was bruised for our iniquities. The chastisement of our peace was upon him, and with his stripes we are healed. Amen. Let us pray. Lord God, bless your word wherever it is proclaimed. Make it a word of power and peace to confirm the, convert those not yet your own and to confirm those who have come to saving faith. May your word pass from the ear to the heart, from the heart to the lip, and from the lip to the life, that as you have promised, your word may achieve the purpose for which you send it. Through Jesus Christ, our Lord, who lives and reigns with you in the Holy Ghost and one Godhead from everlasting to everlasting. Amen. Now hear us, Lord, as together we pray that most perfect prayer, saying, Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our trespasses, as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom, and the power, and the glory, forever and ever. Amen. <clears throat> Hymn number 87, Into the Woods, My Master. Master came 
Pharaoh's prayers look down on him, and God spoke down from heaven to him when into the woods he came. Out of the woods my master went, he whom God hath sent. Out of the woods my master came, content with and shame. When these first came, came, he did not cry, though they would beat him and crucify. Twas on a tree they made him die, when out of the Grace, mercy, and peace from God our Father and from our Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. Our sermon text is found in the Gospel according to John, and we'll read verses 1 to 18, or chapter 18, verses 1 to 11. Chapter 18, verses 1 to 11. And we read in the name of Jesus. When Jesus had spoken these words, he went forth with his disciples over the book Kedron, where was a garden into the which he entered, and his disciples. And Judas also, which betrayed him, knew the place, for Jesus oft times resorted thither with his disciples. Judas then, having received a band of men and officers from the chief priests and Pharisees, cometh thither with lanterns and torches and weapons. Jesus, therefore, knowing all things that should come upon him, went forth. And said unto them, Whom seek ye? They answered him, Jesus of Nazareth. Jesus saith also to, unto them, I am he. And Judas also, which betrayed him, stood with them. As soon then as he said unto them, I am he, they went backward and fell to the ground. Then asked he them again, Whom seek ye? And they said, Jesus of Nazareth. Jesus answered, I have told you that I am he. If therefore ye seek me, let these go their way, that the saying might be fulfilled which he spake of them which thou gavest me, have I lost none. Then Simon Peter, having a sword, drew it and smote the high priest's servant's ear and cut off his right ear. The servant's name was Malchus. Then said Jesus unto Peter, Put up thy sword into the sheath. The cup which my father hath given me, shall I not drink it? Then the band and the captain and officers of the Jews took Jesus and bound him and led him away to Annas first, for he was father-in-law to Caiaphas, which was the high priest that same year. Now Caiaphas was he which gave counsel to the Jews that it was expedient that one man should die for the people. Amen. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for this, your word. We pray, sanctify us in the truth. Your word is truth. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. <clears throat> when I was... Um, dating my wife. One night um, we were 
um, hanging out, and um, afterward, I was going home. And I had a smile on my face. It had been a great night. Everything was going according to my plans. And uh, coming back from her house, it was probably like um, uh, decent enough into the night, 11, 12 at night, something like that. And um, she, li um, the, she lived, anyway, there was a slight rise that I was going over um, on my way home, like just a, not much of an incline, but a little bit of one. And I was driving a, a van that I actually had borrowed from a member of the congregation that I served because my van was in the shop. And uh, before you, it was like the next thing I knew, I was like daydreaming and smiling and happy. And all of a sudden, there's a line of deer running across the road. There's like six of them. And all I see are deer, and I can't stop. It's, there's no time, they're just there. So I just brace for impact. Maybe I try to slam on the brakes, but all I remember is seeing this wall of deer, and all of a sudden, I made it through. And then there's a crash, and a deer splayed up across the window, like looking at me, like it ran into the driver's side window, and I saw it. And um, it dented up the side door of this van, and I had this image of this deer plastered on the window um, for the rest of my drive home. And I was shaken by that. First of all, I was scared that I was going to have to now pay for the repairs for this car. And um, second of all, um, I knew it could have been a lot worse. And that's kind of where we find Malchus this evening. This is the, the night in which Jesus was betrayed. This is the night that we hear every first Sunday when we hear those words of institution. Remember how they begin, on the night, our, our Lord, on the night in which he was betrayed, took bread. This is that night. This is the night in which he is betrayed. And Luke, he calls it the hour of darkness. This is a terrible night. But for Malchus, everything was going pretty well, right? From his perspective, He's going with the high priest. They're about to get this guy who's been causing all this trouble. The high priest is going to take care of it. He's got a cohort of Roman soldiers with him. There's really nothing that can go wrong for him. And then imagine what Malchus must have thought when Judas comes up and betrays Jesus with that kiss, you remember. That's what we learn in Luke's gospel. Jesus comes out to them and says, Whom seek ye? And they say, Jesus of Nazareth. And he says, I am he. And it's like everyone is thrust backward. By the power of his word, by the power of his declaration, him declaring, I am he, all of these men are sent to the ground. And a lot of times we think it, it's more like, like um, you know, we, a lot of times we have this image in our head of them being like blown backwards. Um, but... You notice the language that this says. It says they went backward and fell to the ground. You know, we kind of have this picture of a wind, but it's really the authority of his presence that sends them. I picture them like stumbling backward and then bowing down, just being forced to bow to Jesus when he says, I am he. Remember, that's the holy name of God, the Tetragrammaton, the great I am, Yahweh. And so they're on the ground. Now what do you think Malchus is thinking? <laughs> it's almost like there's a deer plastered on his, on his driver's side window, shaking up his, his good day. 
And then Jesus comes up to them again and says, Whom seek ye? And they say, Jesus of Nazareth. And he said, Well, I've told you that that's me. I am he. If therefore ye seek me, let these go their way. So he tells them, You can have me, just let my disciples go. Let these that are with me go. And this would fulfill the scriptures of, uh, the, that he had spoken. Of them which thou gavest me have I lost none. There's something about human beings. Love control. I, was, um, I learned something new uh, the other day. I was actually um, reading something, and I learned that during World War II, psychologists compared ground troops to um, fighter pilots uh, during the war. And um, they determined that after 60 days of combat, the ground troops um, was off the charts. They um, all were very anxious, um, very uh, troubled. The combat had really gotten to them. But fighter pilots, it was like the complete opposite. 93% of them were happy and at peace. Why, why do you suppose that is? Ground troops, both of them are in const, constant combat. And, and really the, what the psychologists determined was the only re thing they could think of is the, the uh, fighter pilots had more of a sense of control. They were the pilot of their plane. Whereas the ground troops, yeah, they can control themselves, but they can't control where their unit goes or what's happening to them. They have this very um, terrifying place of feeling like they have no control. And that really skyrocketed their anxiety. And I think um, for the fighter pilots, you know, they got to, they got to fly their plane. Um, they had to depend on their um, wingmates, their wingman. But um, other than that, they were, they were pretty well able to control their own destiny. You know, if they maneuvered well enough, if they flew well enough, they, they wouldn't have issues. And I think that's often um, how we feel. We feel more at peace when we feel in control of our situation and our circumstance. And I think that's kind of the wisdom of our age, you know, um, in control of your own destiny. You feel good when you're in control of your own destiny. I hate to use um, sports analogies, but you often hear that term when they're talking about a team making the playoffs. You know, if they just have to win their games, then they're pulling their own destiny. And you feel a lot better about your team's chances if you know, well, they're in control. Um, if, it's up to them. If they win, they get in. And very oftentimes, we too feel that false sense of security when we feel in control. And that's why those events that um, remind us that we don't have any control shake us so. I just learned um, this morning that uh, one of my dear friends um, has brain cancer. Um, and uh, this is a, an older woman whose husband died of cancer last year. And that shakes you when you learn things like that. Or when you lose your job. Or when you lose a loved one. These things that shake us and make us feel like we don't have any control. And it hurts and it breaks us. I think of Peter on this night. 
Isn't it odd that he's carrying a sword? This would seem to go against everything that Jesus taught him. Why would Jesus allow him to have that sword? And why does he have it at all? Why did he need to come armed? Well, he knew that tensions were hot. And he thought, he heard Jesus say, I'm going to be arrested and delivered. And they're going to take me. And he tried to say, no, Lord, this won't happen to you. And yet he's got a sword. Why? He wants to feel like he's in control. He wants to hold on to something that he can control. And when Jesus sends these men to their knees, I can just see Peter with his hand on the sword hilt, ready. When those men get up and Jesus utters those second words, he draws it. And Malchus, he's going about his day. All of a sudden, there's a man, a fisherman from Galilee, swinging a sword at him. And I find it telling also with Peter. He decides it's time to strike with a sword, and there's a cohort of Roman soldiers who would be armed too. Does he start attacking the soldiers and valiantly fighting them? And does he challenge their captain to a duel? No, he strikes at an unarmed servant. And now how do you suppose this ear got cut off? Well, there's only two ways that I can think of. The first involves Peter jumping at him and swinging downward, trying to cut the man's head in two, and him flinching to the side and trying to get out of the way, and it pointed the sword, cutting off his ear. Or maybe he slashed at him this way to take his head off, and he flinched away like that and got it cut through like that. But regardless, his ear is cut off. Peter is no valiant man here. And I think that's an excellent example of what happens when we try to assert some of our own control over our own destiny and our own life. When we try to make it and hold on to whatever control we have, we end up acting in a way that is cowardly, foolish, sinful. He takes matters into his own hands and cuts Malchus's ear off. All of a sudden now, Malchus has no ear, and there's this wild Galilean brandishing a sword at him after cutting off his ear. Imagine how Malchus felt then. And then Jesus, I just picture him um, barking this at Peter. And, you know, the way we picture things, is it true? I don't know. But I just imagine him snapping, Peter, put away thy sword. Or put up thy sword into thy sheath. The cup which my father hath given me, shall I not drink it? Now, those are some words for us in every moment of our life. The cup that the Father has given me, shall I not drink it? If we believe in God, if we put our trust in him, then how can we balk at drinking whatever cup he gives us? Whatever hardship comes our way, the cup that the Father gives us, we too can drink. Because Jesus did it first. And you know what cup Jesus is um, referring to? It's the same cup that he, when he prayed hours earlier, let this cup pass from me. Nevertheless, not my will, but thy will be done. The same prospects of drinking that cup, which caused him to sweat drops of blood. It's the cup of God's wrath. This is the Old Testament picture, the picture that the scriptures give us. God's wrath is a cup that we must drink. But Jesus drinks it. 
And because the wrath of God is poured on him, well, it changes everything for us. Um, one of my first introductions to a modern hymn was the hymn, um, In Christ Alone. I think you guys might know it. Um, I, I will try to quote it. Um, it goes like this. In Christ alone my hope is found. He is my light, my strength, my song. This cornerstone, this solid ground, firm by the fiercest drought and storm. What heights of love, what depths of peace. When fears are stilled, when striving cease. My comforter, my all in all. Here in the love of Christ I stand. In Christ alone who took on flesh, light of the world, and helpless babe. This gift of love and righteousness, slain by the ones he came to save. And I might be misquoting it, but this is the relevant portion that I want you to hear. Um, now, I'm, now I'm not remembering it. Oh, man. I should, I'll do what I should have done and had this prepared. Till on that cross, as Jesus died, the wrath of God was satisfied, for every sin on him was laid. Here in the death of Christ I live. Then in the ground his body lay, light of the world by darkness slain. Then bursting forth in glorious day, up from the grave he rose again. And as he stands in victory, since curse has lost its grip on me, for I am his and he is mine, bought with the precious blood of Christ. No guilt in life, no fear in death, this is the power of Christ in me. From life's first cry to final breath, Jesus commands my destiny. No power of hell, no scheme of man can ever pluck me from his hand till he returns or calls me home. Here in the power of Christ, I'll stand. Jesus took upon himself the wrath of God and he commands our destiny. From life's first cry to final breath, no one can pluck us from his hand. And so there is Malchus standing there, bloody ear, blood fountaining from his ear, ear or lack thereof. And Jesus, we're told, heals it. This is given to us in Luke's gospel. He heals him. What do you suppose Malchus thinks then? Here he is thinking he's going to die. Head wounds are vicious. When I was a kid, I um, was at McDonald's. I was there with my mom and grandma by myself. I was three or four years old. And uh, I just, um, they, had these, um, they had these tables with these like um, forest themed. So it was like a picture of a dining table, a little two person table, but then it had like a, a tree coming up and you could actually like stand on the bench and hold on to the tree. And I decided I was gonna swing around like Tarzan and uh, I fell. And um, that's where I have this scar on my forehead. And um, I remember getting up dizzy and seeing butterflies, or not butterflies, but ladybugs flying around my head and I was swatting at him and I, swat I finally hit one and I looked and realized I was bleeding. 
And then the tears began to come, and it bled viciously, and it was just a little tiny cut on my head. And that was when four-year-old Nicholas vowed he was never going to McDonald's again. It was my first time, I think they even, um, it was bleeding so bad that I think I, I, think I ran, rode on the ambulance, actually. Um, I'd have to ask my mom about it. But head wounds bleed viciously. Imagine having your ear cut off, how much that would bleed. And Jesus heals it like it's nothing. And this is where Malchus teaches us a valuable lesson. And that lesson is, when we have those moments in our life when all control is gone, when we feel like we have nothing, no sense of control, we can realize that we're blessed because Jesus commands our destiny, because Jesus is in control. Even if it's us who have cancer, even if it's us who are dying, even if it's us who are broke, we can learn from Malchus. What does Malchus do? Absolutely nothing. He gets his ear cut off, and Jesus heals him. Passive receiving of God, of what God has for him. You see, we are not fighter pilots. Even if we are, it's only an illusion of control. Even those moments where we feel like everything is going to plan, where we're smiling and happy, driving home, those moments are not blessedness. Blessedness comes when that deer is looking at you through your driver's side window and you're shaken and you realize that you have no semblance of control. And you realize that you're in the Father's hands. You see, Jesus would go on to be crucified on account of the betrayal that Judas put forth. Judas betrayed him. And you do too. He bear, he, on the cross, he bore your sins. Yours. Think about it this way. It's like you robbed a bank, you got all this money, and then someone else was arrested and sentenced for your crimes. You get off scot-free, and he's rotting in prison. That's how we ought to feel about the death of Christ. We are complicit, just as complicit as Judas. And when we try to assert our own control or our own authority over what God would have for us, we're no better than Peter in attacking Malchus. Paul was 100% correct when he said, quoting the psalmist, there is none righteous, no, not one. None of us can stand. And it's a blessing from God that we aren't called to that Jesus bore our sins, the good news of the gospel. He covers them with his precious blood. This was all according to plan. And we can have faith that no matter what happens to us or to those around us, that that blood that was shed, no one can undo that. The forgiveness of sins that we have in Christ Jesus, no one can take that from us. And whatever cup God calls us to drink, we can drink it. Because Christ did first and took the wrath of God upon himself so that it will never fall on us. So what is death? 
but just another road that God calls us down, that we take just as the roads we take in life, knowing that the end result is the same, that we will be with him in paradise, that there will come a day that he will raise us from the dead and we won't have to deal with sin anymore. And so we can be thankful today that we're not in control. How terrible would it be if we were? How terrible would it be if our every sinful inclination and urge was granted to us? What a terrible, you think it's bad now? Imagine what it would be like then, even with us good Christians. Not be good. Praise the Lord that he is in control and that he is good and that we can trust him no matter what. So be at peace, dear Christian, because yes, God is in control. And even if he calls us to die, it will still be good because it means it's his will. It's his plan for us when we will die. And that day will be a good day. In Jesus' name, amen. Let us bow our heads in a word of prayer. Almighty God, we come before you giving you thanks that you are indeed in control. Give us the grace to submit to your will, even if it be our death, that the peace which passes all understanding would guard our hearts and minds in Christ Jesus our Lord. Amen. The Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face shine upon you and be gracious unto you. The Lord lift up his countenance upon you and give you peace. In the name of the Father and the Son, and the Holy Ghost. Amen. Hymn 119, Jesus Paid It All.
Uh, just a reminder that Spruce Grove is having their spring services starting Friday night at 7.30, Saturday night at 7.30, and um, two services on Sunday. And for our us, Sunday school at 9.15 on Sunday, and worship service at 10.30 with Holy Communion, and group eight serves to be potluck lunch. Thank you. The March newsletters are all also out in the fellowship hall. Hymn number 80, He Was Nailed to the Cross.
God from whom all blessings flow. 